What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Today on the show, I'm taking you for a closer look at the future of fashion, retail, and online identity. For those of you who follow me on social media, you know that recently I was at the Snap Partner Summit in beautiful Santa Monica, California. There, the company announced updates to their Snapchat app, as well as a new business-to-business SaaS offering that enables merchants and retailers to leverage the best of Snap's technology in brand-owned apps and platforms. So what do I mean by that? Snap has quietly been developing its artificial intelligence and augmented reality technologies. They can offer best-in-class e-commerce and retail solutions, including 3D viewing, virtual try-on, and augmented reality mirrors. These solutions are proving to reduce return rates, reduce card abandonment, and increase purchases for brands. Before we get into it, I do apologize for the background noise in this episode, but these interviews were taken on the scene at the partner conference, which was inside an airport hangar. So if you're a chatter and planes taking off in the distance, that's why. We've cleaned up the audio as much as possible to make for easy listening, but it's still a fascinating episode and it starts in just a moment. The first voice you're going to hear is Carolina Aguese Navas, the head of global AR product strategy and product marketing at Snap. Our chat runs through different technologies that Snap is offering with the introduction of ARES or Augmented Reality Enterprise Services. Carolina shares how the company has been focused on AR since day one and how it makes sense for them to now offer these services to brands. So Carolina, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. (laughs) I really liked everything that you said on stage today, introducing AR for music and fashion. Obviously, I'm more interested in the fashion side of things. So um, AR Enterprise Services, our audience will have a little bit of a background on that. But where did the idea come from to roll all of these services together for enterprise? This has actually been years in the making. It started many years ago. And I think there was a few things that led to this moment today. The first one was a key focus on what types of challenges do people face in their lives or day-to-day lives that we feel the camera and augmented reality are uniquely positioned to solve. And when we did a lot of kind of consumer research many years ago, fashion kept coming up as one of the key applications for AR. And because we're really thinking about the long-term future of AR and its potential to disrupt every major industry, We knew we needed to start by taking a focus on the verticals that were ready for that disruption now. And because of that consumer insight, we said fashion is definitely one of them. Uh, It's one thing that we really want to invest in. And it was from that moment, a lot of other things like acquisitions, insights, and what we learned from our own consumers on Snapchat that sort of led to where we are now. And it's interesting because augmented reality on Snapchat sort of started as puking rainbows and fun and games, right? Like not to discount it, but it started as fun and games and now it's entering enterprise. Do you feel that the clients that you're talking to are ready for these type of solutions or is there still handholding? Like are we still, I feel like we're moving past the conversation of like what is AR and it's more like what can AR do for me as a business? Look, I I think what's really changed in the conversation with the business isn't about trying to explain or convince about AR. It's to start with the problems that the business is really facing, which right now is more critical than ever to take a look at. And when you look at a few challenges, one being cart abandonment, 70% of online shopping carts are abandoned. 
and you have a 30 to 50% return rate online. These are key challenges that businesses need to help address to really grow their bottom line. So for us, the conversation starts there. It starts around how do we make your business healthier by thinking about how do we bring personalization and technology at scale and in an efficient way that's actually gonna decrease those return rates and increase the conversion rates. That is where we're focused and that I think has really changed the business demand and interest. But you're right to say that there's been some hesitancy in the past and I think a lot of that is because it's been pretty costly in the past actually then integrate these types of technologies. In theories, people say, yeah, I get it that virtually trying something on might help reduce this, but maybe the cost to produce assets or to scale it across my whole website, you know, is it actually gonna be worth that much investment and is the quality there? That for us is really where we're talking to businesses to say, this isn't a potential, this is actually proven. We've been able to take 250 million people on Snap that have already interacted with AR shopping experiences and learn about how they work, how to improve the technology and actually drive those conversions and those numbers. So that by the time we're here to say, now it's ready to integrate into your retail app or website, we have the technology solutions with AI to scale asset development, to integrate it really seamless, the hands-on support to actually help them do it because they might not have the in-house skills to be able to, and ultimately it's the proof points. And that's what we're really excited about and leading with. We're saying, hey, you have a partner like you know, a Princess Polly, a fashion kind of retailer, who is seeing a 24% reduction in returns by integrating our fit and our try-on solutions. Or a Gobi Cashmere that's seeing a 4x increase in purchases as a result of these technologies. And I think that's what's really changing the game for retailer adoption. Absolutely. So let's go through the shopping suite uh, technologies one by one and talk about them. So the 3D visualization, that came from an acquisition that you kind of quietly made a little while ago. Can you talk about that and why it wasn't announced? Did you not want to let people on to what you were doing? <laughs> we did disclose our acquisition of Vertebrae. So Vertebrae was kind of the key, one of the key bases for our 3D viewer technology. To sort of do a TLDR description of that, just in case no one knows what it is, our 3D viewer technology allows a shopper, when they're looking at the images on a product detail page, you're scrolling through the images of a product, you'll actually embed it right there in the image carousel, have a 3D model that with your mouse, if you're on your desktop or your touch screen, if you're on your mobile phone, can actually spin that product around and see it in fine, fine, hyper-realistic detail. This is really important. It's kind of helping answer that question, is this quality and style right for me? Is it really going to meet my expectations? We did kind of bring that in-house as well as the incredible skills from the Vertebrae team on 3D asset production at scale and with really high production value. That was a key reason for the acquisition is we knew this was going to be critical. We had a lot of the technologies, but we knew where else do we need a supplement to really drive and solve these problems. And that was a really important one for us. And so the augmented reality try-on, obviously digital fashion has been huge the last two years. Uh, the augmented reality try-on, I mean, we've seen really strong use cases in beauty and accessories because renderings can be really accurate and realistic. How much investment is Snap putting into making sure, it's, I mean, it sounds like a lot based on what you've revealed today, but like, tell me about how you're going to get to that point where the apparel renderings are exactly kind of what you'd expect in real life or do you think they're there yet look apparel has been a key focus for us for many years because we really see it as almost the holy grail because it's the largest you know sh vertical within the fashion retail and commerce space it also is the one that suffers the most from return rates and so for us it has been the key focus and no one's been able to crack it 
for many reasons. One is producing 3D models of your clothing items is really hard and very expensive as you typically have a lot more and they turn over a lot more quickly. So it's very different than the number of shoes you have. Also the quality and being able to then take that 3D model and render it on someone in a very realistic way, actually have it kind of mold to their body and move the way they need to move. Those are things that require you know, real-time body simulation, cloth simulation, a lot of technologies that have needed the years, the past few years to really start to improve. We're very excited because the solution we're bringing to market, we you know, both brought in an acquisition as well as kind of homegrown technology from the last 10 years that we've been building towards, and it does something quite different. Instead of having to build a 3D model of this blouse that you're wearing, which is beautiful by the way, um, you can actually you know, take an image of the blouse and we process it through about 20 different deep learning AI models. What that, those AI models are doing when we process just that one product photography image you've already produced for your retail website is that it's actually using hundreds of thousands of images for us to be able to simulate just based on that image, what would it look like if it was on someone else's body? Totally different body shape, body size, height, pose. If you are slightly angled the other way, how would that jacket or that blouse render? Those are what the deep learning models are doing. And so this is a brand new technique. It means that we can scale your fashion try-on experience to all of a sudden thousands or even tens of thousands of your product SKUs really quickly. And for the shopper, it's really convenient because instead of having to prop your camera up, stand really far back, then try to see your camera screen from so far away of how it rendered, you can actually just upload a full body selfie of yourself. And that's when that image kind of applies and updates your outfit to that new blouse. That is what we're calling our apparel try-on solution, which kind of is taking the best of AI, many decades that we've been really investing in in the entire industry and at Snap, on kind of body tracking, et cetera, to sort of get us here. And what I would say is, look, there's always going to be room for improvement in terms of quality and in terms of realism. But what we know already is that where it is today is not only scalable, it is working. And I think that's the biggest thing. Retailers sometimes will look at the results and say, oh, but it can be a little bit more realistic. You're right. And we're continuing to invest there. But the question is, but was it realistic enough for the shopper to actually make that purchase and reduce their return rate? And that's exactly what's happening with all of our test partners who have this live on their retail app and website. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's an important distinction, I think. And then last but not least, we have the 3D Fit Finder, you acquired Fit Analytics. And uh, that has been a huge problem for a lot of retailers. I hear this all the time about returns and um, you know shoppers buying three of one size and then trying them on at home and sending the ones back that don't fit. So that seems to fit nicely in with the rest of the package that you're doing. Are you finding that clients are gravitating more towards one solution over the other or are they just like taking everything that Shopping Suite has to offer? I think what's been really amazing is that the clients are saying, look, my goal is increase purchases, reduce returns, and ultimately make that shopper a repeat shopper versus saying, I only need this one solution. It's like, I have these challenges. What of your tool set can help us do it? What we're really talking to a lot of retailers about is rather than pre-deciding which solution you think you need is actually what we've seen is that every shopper is different. It's actually at the shopper level. For some shoppers, they can just use the 3D viewer and get really confident. For others, they need to use a 3D viewer and try it on. And for others, they really need to go through that fit recommendation because they really struggle with fit. Some use all three, some use one. But by a retailer pre-deciding which solution they need, they're actually making a lot of assumptions 
about every single one of their shoppers instead of giving each shopper the choice to figure out what tool set they individually need to help them make that decision. And it's in that combination of all of them is where you're really seeing those incremental results come through. Interesting. Two more questions for you. So the first one is about the garment transfer. I'm not sure I fully understand (laughs) what that is and it looks really cool, but I want to make sure I get it before I go and explain it to other people. So that was something you just announced today. Tell me about that. So garment transfer right now is within our Lens Studio software. So for kind of high level context, Lens Studio is our developer software. Anyone can download this piece of software and build AR experiences, which they can publish to Snapchat. What this new technology does is it uses AI, where you upload a single image of a t-shirt, someone wearing a t-shirt, and you point to anyone in the camera. And using the live camera, it'll render that t-shirt on someone else. It is instantaneous. As a developer, as a creator, you want to all of a sudden let people try on a brand new idea you just cooked up in the last few minutes of what a t-shirt could look like. You can draw it up as quickly as you can draw it up. You can actually have someone try it on an AR. That's how that technology works. It's really meant for developers right now experimenting on Snapchat as we really learn about how we can expand that technology platform into more verticals and ultimately bring it off platform as well. And so this isn't necessarily for something that's already a physical garment and is trying to go digital, which it sounds like your other services are. This is actually for, as you're saying, creating a digital design and having it live somewhere on the internet. It's both. It can be both. You know, we're seeing already during the World Cup, instantaneously they were able to actually produce these experiences where people could try on jerseys uh, just using the image of the jersey. So it could be a physical product that lives there or it could be something that you cooked up in the last minute and you actually want to see how people are responding to that item before you go manufacture it. There are so many opportunities because of the instantaneous nature of being able to kind of go make this experience. Fantastic. Last question is about the mirrors. We have a bunch of different mirrors here. We have one with Nike, and this kind of ties into the vending machine that we have behind me with Coca-Cola. So this is another tool for retailers and merchants to enhance their in-store experience. And is it kind of case by case in terms of the activation, like what the retailer needs you can build into the mirror? Exactly right. So the beauty of our AR mirrors is that they basically have built into them every single possible technology solution that we've developed within our Lens Studio software. So what that means is that whatever you want to build, maybe you are Nike and you want to build more of a gamified interactive experience to keep people entertained and extend their time in your store, you can build some of the most you know, fun game that you could play with your friends in the store. And that's exactly what they did. They actually ended up having to move the mirror in their New York store because there was such a huge crowd around it that they moved it to the front of the store because it was drawing so many people in. Or you have a men's warehouse, really different. They're coming to us saying, hey, we have this big challenge during prom season because it actually takes so much time to try on a suit that the fitting room line in our stores is so long. And it means that either people aren't buying the suit, they get frustrated, they leave, or they're not trying on very many options. And so we actually worked with Men's Warehouse in a much more utility fashion where they brought that mirror into their store and the user simply, one of their shoppers simply takes a full body selfie on that mirror and then they can tap through and see what they look like instantaneous in a selection of different suits. Really different application, but the mirror can basically do it all. It feels like Snap kind of missed the whole, not missed, but avoided the whole NFT and metaverse. This was a kind of hype cycle that we saw. We saw a lot of retailers get burned. We saw a lot of people, consumers getting burned. Snap kind of avoided that, but then 
in a really strategic way, I think, took the best innovations of Web3 and made them accessible to retailers and merchants. Has that been the vision from the beginning is to be strategic about the technologies that you implement? Because there was a time there where you guys could have gone in a lot of different directions, but you stayed focused and I admire that. So I don't know if that's a comment so much as a question, but I'd love to know your thoughts. Look, I, I think for us is this isn't a new area of investment for us. From the very beginning of the company, we've always said, you know, we believe AR is the future. Called ourselves a camera company. Everyone would be like, you're a social media company, be quiet. But we made really intentional decisions over time. And I think some of the most important decisions we've made, and you even talked about it at the beginning, which is we're starting with vomiting rainbows and dog ears. That was intentional. We said, in order for us to actually not just have this vision we're gonna paint, but make it a reality, we knew that we needed to actually shift consumer behavior. And you do that in two ways. One, you need to make sure that you're producing value in the products you deliver. Is this valuable enough, better enough than what they're doing today that they're actually gonna do this? And two, you need to make it approachable and simple for them to adopt. Those are two ingredients that we've kept really focused from day one. It's not because we don't think that 10 years from now, the world will be really different from how you're going to interact in technology. We not only believe it, we're building it slowly by saying, hey, step one, I'm going to get you as comfortable with the camera as you are with the keyboard. You know what's going to help you do that? We're going to open to the camera. We're going to invent this thing called stories, where ephemerality means you're going to capture and use the camera every day instead of just on the weekends. We're going to introduce a vomiting rainbow because all of a sudden, we're teaching you how to use AR in the most simple, almost natural way that you don't even realize it. We taught the world to use AR through that kind of dog filter, which is intentional. That was the basis for what we said, okay, the behavior's there, now we're ready to show utility, not just fun, because people are already using the camera to create content. Now it's about teaching them that the camera can do more than just be a tool for creation. It could be a tool for learning, for studying, for having fun, and also for shopping. And that's where for us, it's not about the fact that we don't believe in what else might come. It's that we need to be realistic to where consumers are today. So you're building a product that one is going to deliver value and B, that enough people are going to do and use to make it your worthwhile that you spent that much time, energy and potentially money to do. That impact and focus on scale by being realistic to people and people's needs first that's, I think, what for us at Snap has been number one focus kind of always. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. So great to That was Carolina Arguese Navas, the head of global AR product strategy and product marketing at Snap. Next, I spoke with Rajni Jacques, the global head of fashion and beauty at Snap. I caught her just after her panel to learn more about how Snap intersects with fashion and beauty outside of enterprise. Rajni, outside of Aries, which we've learned a lot about today, how does fashion and beauty touch Snap? I mean, fashion and beauty touches Snap on so many different points. I think for me, what I really kind of scored to do is the ABCs, is augmented reality, really bringing brands into like the AR world, and then Bitmoji, really working with brands to create collections and drops for the Bitmoji avatar, and then creators, like really bridging the gap between brands and creators so that they can kind of, in a way, when we have like any brand campaigns, the brands can tap into creators that really fit the mold for their particular brand. So you touched on something really interesting in the panel, which was this idea of fantasy versus reality, of fashion being 
an opportunity to step into a fantasy versus representing something that you maybe truly want to wear in real life. And it was a question that you had for the two creators on stage. And I kind of want to turn it back to you. Like, do you think that Snap creators are using their Bitmoji to make it look like their real self? I think we heard a stat today saying that they're dressing in brands that they would want to wear in real life. So when it comes to Bitmojis, for sure, I think we want the Bitmoji or our avatar to look like us. So we, you know, use the brands, we wear the brands that we wear in real life on your Bitmoji. I do think there are some kind of like those whimsical AR lenses, kind of like what Paige was speaking to, that kind of take you to another place. And I think we have to be really careful in saying that like, okay, that fantasy, because fantasy doesn't always mean taking you out of your space. You know, that's what the metaverse does where AR, you're just enhancing the space that you're already in. It's not taking you out of it. You're just kind of making it better or brighter for that moment in time. So I do think when it sticks to Bitmoji, I know my Bitmoji looks exactly like me. I don't want like a Bitmoji that's kind of like the fantasy Rajni. But when it comes to lenses, and you, you saw today at the keynote, the lenses where the shook lens or even the, the cartoon lens, you, you want to have a little more fun and play with who your personality is through that lens. And Snap has done a great job collaborating with legacy fashion brands like Vogue, for example, to bring augmented reality to some of their experiences. What can we expect from Snap and fashion in the future? I can't tell you all my secrets. I mean, I also asked that question to them and like, tell me what you're doing. But I think there's there's a couple of things. I think you obviously, from our standpoint, we work with all fashion brands from kind of, as you mentioned, your Lux legacy brands to your athletic, like your Nikes and your Adidas to contemporary brands like Levi's and, you know, um, American Eagle. And so I think what I would like to see more of the in the future and what I'm working on is to kind of bring in more streetwear brands, like brands that are really moving the needle within a particular culture, which is Gen Z. And we do have those, but like really working on that a bit more is something that we want to see for the future. But honestly, at every touch point, more brands on Bitmoji, you'll see more kind of like playing with scarcity and drops in different ways that kind of mimic real life. And then when it comes to AR, just really kind of enhancing, especially for me, if we're partnering with someone for Fashion Week, enhancing the runway, inspired and created by the, the designer that enhances their actual collection. So I think that's those are a couple of things that you'll, you'll see from us coming down the pipeline and many more, many more. I feel like every day is a different day that we think of something that's really cool to execute. I love that. And just on the beauty piece, since we've talked a lot about fashion, you know, there was a lot of backlash against TikTok for the old glamour beauty filter that they released yeah. recently because it was just so unrealistic. It used generative AI to not just augment reality, but replace reality in the sense that it made you look like completely unrealistic. And I did a whole piece on that and I was kind of critical of it. How does Snap strike a balance so that these beauty filters are still fun and engaging but are not hurting teens' mental health in the way that we know that other apps are? You know, for Snap, again, it's kind of that whimsical fun aspect. You know, when we're thinking about beauty, there's two things. There's, I think I mentioned yesterday when we talked, we collaborated with Allure, Best of Beauty, where we created lenses that were literally just literally mimicking the winners. So either it was cheeks or lips or eyes where you can actually wear red lipstick from a particular designer or a brand or wear like the cat eye and so when it's beauty like that 
we're just kind of mimicking what you would actually do in your real life, not taking you out, not taking you out of who you are. But then there's the whimsical beauty, you know, things. You know, I think Paige was saying kind of like, you know, it's more of a fun thing like the brats or kind of like stars, star shades on your eye. And so I think there's two different ways to kind of look at it. But yeah, I, Snap is not in the business to change your anatomy <laughs> or to change what you were aesthetically born with. We just want to enhance it in the sense of like having fun with it through specific lenses, but never to kind of, hey, that does not look like me at all. That's not the business that we're in and that's not what we want to project for the future. And last question for you. How do you think Snap is informing our digital identity? You know, we talk so much about digital identity. Fashion is a way of people to explore and find their identity. And now it seems like digital fashion is a huge piece of that where they can like maybe experiment without spending the money. I know I spent a lot of money in my 20s finding out my personal style. So how do you see that relationship between Snap, fashion, and identity? Well, I think, you know, Snap is a place and a platform where you come and you play with your identity and you seek your identity and you create your identity. I think for me, one of the strongest you know things that I work on is Bitmoji. And again, really creating your digital version of yourself, but then tapping into brands. And you know, we also have on Bitmoji, we have obviously your branded collections, but we also have internal collections where you can wear your motorcycle jacket or a pair of Birkenstock-esque shoes. So I think it shapes your identity because you're creating yourself in the likeness of yourself. And to me, that's always a cool thing and that's always a thing that, honestly, I feel like I was, I'm a millennial and I was kind of like on a trajectory where, you know, the phone was never, wasn't necessarily like the thing that you were always about. And then obviously in the past couple of years, probably past six to eight years, a digital identity has emerged. And when you think about it, it's not even kind of like your avatar. Think about when people were on MySpace or, or which, does anybody even know about Friendster anymore? <laughs> anyway, but you were already creating your digital identity. Yes, you were using like your real photo, but you were creating what music you like, who are your top 10 friends. So this thing of creating your digital identity is not anything, it's nothing new. It's just taking different forms, and I do think Bitmoji has really transformed it in a way which it's fun, it's accessible, and you can create and change your outfit every two seconds. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for your no time. Problem. I appreciate it. No problem. That was Rajni Jacques, the global head of fashion and beauty at Snap. Last but not least, I spoke with David Rosenberg, the director of strategy for Bitmoji, to understand how the company is thinking about online identity. For those who don't know, Bitmoji is the cartoon that users use to represent themselves inside Snapchat. At the Partner Summit, Snap shared that more than 70% of its users want to dress their Bitmoji as they dress in real life. Bitmoji is one of the oldest avatar systems, and the company was an early adopter of collaborating with fashion brands to outfit Bitmoji. Rosenberg shares how Bitmoji is changing and more on the future potential for fashion, fandom, and celebrating cultural moments and milestones through Bitmoji. So David, little known fact, Bitmoji is actually from Toronto, where I'm from, humble beginnings, and we were talking just before we started recording about how Bitmoji had its roots in both comics and messaging. Can you talk a little bit about that and then maybe move towards some of the announcements that made today about making Bitmoji a little bit more realistic, but not hyper-realistic? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the time. 
as you said, Bitmoji is a proud Toronto-founded business founded by a guy named Bob Blackstock, Shahan Panth, Dorian, and David Kennedy. And these were real, like, artists and technologists, like, fused together. And the art that was most near and dear to their hearts and the place that they spent most time creating was in cartoon. And the basic sort of product problem that they solved was that at the time, messaging was blowing up. Emoji was becoming this universal visual language, but the sort of smiley face on your phone looked identical to the one on my phone. And so what if there could be a an avatar, a sort of bitmoji that was perfectly you and perfectly me, but but crucially not one that attempted to like directly replicate our human form, but that was fed through the prism of cartoon to create a wider range of emotion. And like that was the original product, I think it was an iOS keyboard 2014, and it became the number one app in the world for a little bit, became like, you know, a proper noun, like a bitmoji, you sort of fly anywhere in the world and say the word, people know what you mean, acquired by Snapchat sometime thereafter, and has become the visual identity layer of Snapchat. And I think like when we, as a, as a company, think about like what we're trying to do in the world, like we are trying to help people use the power of cartoon to express themselves as themselves in places where they are recognized by their friends and recognize their friends. And like that's sort of why Snapchat is the perfect little Petri dish for us, yeah, as a company. And you've since updated the Bitmoji announcements and were made today that it's gonna be a little bit more realistic, but not so realistic to the point where it's like a deep fake. And we chatted for a second there about how that's important. Why do you think that, I guess like a little bit of distance from the real is the perfect exploration tool for online identity. Yeah, I think it's important to say that this is our strong opinion, not stating it as fact, right? Like we believe that cartoon avatars are more fun and more expressive and that they give people a greater range of emotion. Like I can be angrier and funnier and sassier as my Bitmoji than I can in real life, trust me. This is a grounding, like, fact, like our perspective on this is a grounding fact that actually allows us to go a lot deeper into that than if we were trying to, let's say, be an everything avatar that was photorealistic. And so I think like we state this almost like, yeah, as a foundational belief rather than something that we would want to see enforced, you know, more broadly. We think there's definitely a place for people to be escapist in, in how they want to represent themselves online or anonymous. From our standpoint, like the way to unlock the most joy and the most authentic communication is via cartoon. And what you saw today on stage is, I would say it's a higher fidelity cartoon avatar in 3D, more so than like getting more towards photorealism. And I think our phones are getting bigger. There are more pixels on the screen. Within the Snap family of products, we are gonna need an avatar that looks amazing in augmented reality. And so that incredible artistic excellence that we achieved in 2D has to be matched in 3D and so that's a little bit of what you saw today on stage and what you'll continue to see like rolling out over the course of the year. And do you think because Snap already has its own messaging ecosystem, already has its own social dynamics to it, do you think that's why there's been staying power to Bitmoji as opposed to a company like let's say Genies which you know raised a little bit of money, created a lot of buzz, but really as a consumer I don't see the use value to something like that. Is it because there's no context to that avatar? Yeah, I think like the biggest 
determining factor of the success of any given avatar system is going to be like ease of use. You have to want you have to want to use your your avatar for a thing yeah. and you have to be able to relatively easily. And so I think the marriage of Snapchat like which is the best chat app um, with Bitmoji, which is the best way to express yourself visually, just like made all kinds of sense. I think if you look at like other successful avatar systems out there, like one that springs to mind would be Roblox's, and like I think the same the same is true there, which is you can very very quickly create, dress, and use an avatar right there. And I think avatar systems that are built more around, let's say the act of accessorization. You know, we consider that to be like an important step of onboarding, but it's not the whole story. The whole story is it has to be tied to something else. If you look across the Snapchat app, you know, you've got a map where you see yourself as your Bitmoji. You've got chat where you communicate as your Bitmoji. You've got AR and mess and like sort of lenses where you can superimpose yourself on top of your, and then you've got like sort of Bitmoji stories in Discover and, and like spotlight content. And so this attention to not just making Bitmoji like a mannequin, but rather to making it a sort of vehicle for utility is like so deeply ingrained in what we do. And I think is a major, major part of the staying power. Yeah. So I guess I agree. Yeah. And then in terms of fashion, like one of the first ways that you can customize your avatar outside of changing the hair color, changing what the mannequin of it looks like is by fashion and self-expression. And Snap's done a really good job at being one of the early companies to collaborate with Nike, Ralph Lauren, and so on. Obviously, those partnerships are an opportunity for collaboration, but also to enhance the user's self-expression. So how do you see the relationship? I mean, with all of the other retail activations that we have going on today, how do you, what do you see the, as the relationship between Bitmoji and fashion moving forward? Yeah, so one of the stats we put out today on stage was that 75% of our users tell us they want to dress their Bitmoji like they dress themselves. So from our standpoint, we feel a responsibility to bring into our platform like recognizable IP, stuff that is iconic, stuff that has a little bit of its scarcity and exclusivity value, but that is achievable and attainable, right? From a partner standpoint, there's the obvious demographic allure of working with a Snapchat-based avatar because we have like this amazing penetration within an extremely important demographic in North America and globally. And so while I think different fashion partners have different strategic goals with working with us. Some see it as a way to like drive real world spend. Some see it as effectively like the most amazing form of native marketing for their IP. The sort of like central point here is that like if you want to reach Gen Z in North America, really sort of allow them to flex their style through your brand. Bitmoji is this, honestly, I think like sort of sleeper hit in that space. And we certainly intend to scale these programs. We've seen a huge amount of success. We've also begun to think about not just fashion but also fandom so like stuff we've done this year with the NFL and the WWE and even more broadly thinking about like cultural moments globally we just did this amazing thing for Holi did this like beautiful paint specked tea that blew up in India and so really seeing how you choose to accessorize your bitmoji as being a key part of how your identity sort of appears to you and your friends, like sort of just like it is in real life. And so I would say watch this space for more. There's definitely more we could do. And as the avatar itself evolves and becomes, let's say, more animated in 3D and we give it new capabilities, you could imagine, I mean, just to give you a silly example, right? Like there aren't enough places right now where you can see the back of your Bitmoji, right? It's like a silly thing to say, but 
we would love to be able to give users backpacks, but like we haven't necessarily found the perfect place for, to show that off. And so as the utility use cases of Bitmoji evolve, so should the identity use cases. And so, yeah, that's just like a little view into how we think about that relationship. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was David Rosenberg, the director of strategy for Bitmoji. Today, you also heard from Carolina Aguese Nava, head of global AR product strategy and product marketing, as well as Rajni Jacques, the global head of fashion and beauty. Thanks to all of my guests from Snap for speaking with me at the partner conference. And a special thanks to Tanya Johnson for helping me arrange all these interviews and being my guide to the Snap universe. What do you think? Send your questions, comments, and ideas to amanda at electricrunway.com or on social media. We're at electric underscore runway on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm at amanda underscore Costco. And on Snap, I'm at electric underscore Amanda. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, here's looking towards the future.